Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you? Good to see you again. I'm glad you came back again from last week. I did too. I love it when I see a kid during the week with his mom or his dad, and we're in the street, and he's like, I see you Sunday. You're going to be there. I'm like, yeah, I think I'll show up. So hi, I'm Dave Trelongo, and I get to pastor this wonderful group of Christ followers. Uh, you know, this, well, yesterday, things get blurry for me sometimes. Yesterday, as Chris was mentioning, we are in our 21-day of prayer campaign here. It's going well, sincerely. Um, and yesterday, myself, my family, and a group of people traveled up to Northfield, Massachusetts, where we visited what is now called the Moody Center. Uh, it's just an impressive place. I mean, I've heard about it, uh, but I had never been there. And now, first of all, just D.L. Moody was a, is a renowned evangelist, passed away in 1899, I believe. But in Christian circles, college academics, he's just really well known for being one of the most effective and impacting evangelists, uh, preachers in, in Christendom. Huh? And we talked about it last week a little bit. It's, it's just his history story is wonderful. It's inspiring. And as you walk the grounds, as I'm walking around the grounds, uh, I'm just in awe at what I'm seeing. And first of all, they're incredibly well kept, but I'm seeing building after building after building. And I'm seeing, uh, you know, all that this man accomplished, how God used this one man to do such an incredible thing. When you hear the story, how his father died when he was four and his mother worked so hard to keep the family together and how to ship them out here and there to try and work a bit to, for food. And, and you see, you know, and her house is still there. You're like, wow, this is incredible. How God uses one man from such circumstances to impact this country and this world. Wow. And yet that is the story of the church. That is the movement that we're a part of, God continually uses one person, a smaller group of people, to have an incredible impact. That coming together, that person, other people coming together, change the world. Now, the story is that D.L. Moody, by the way, you want to know if you ever visit Boston, some of you might. You know, I do. I just stay away from Fenway. But there you go. I figured I'd get that out of the way for you. So there, there's a, a, when you visit Boston, there's a building that has a plaque on it. And that plaque is a, is a dedication, a memorial that states, you know, on this site, and I think it's 1855, D.L. Moody was converted here in a shoe store. That's powerful, huh? So the, the, the state, our state has such a wonderful history with this man. They say over one million people came to know Jesus, came to faith because of D.L. Moody, of his life, and of course those who work with him. I, it's probably more than that, and I don't know how you count it with the books, and the, still people today are reading his sermons and, listen, and, and reading his books and hearing stories and quotes and reading books about him and his life and how he uh, dealt with difficulty. People in his church, we, we, it, it, help, it inspires us, and sometimes the way we pray and the way we approach things, how God used this one man who set himself apart and who served God. It's, it's just incredible, but it's the movement. It always has been the movement. It's always, it's been how the movement moves. Today we're, racking, we're wrapping up a six-week sermon series. We've been teaching from the book of Acts. We've been kind of looking into it. We called this series The Movement because what we wanted to emphasize in these six weeks at the beginning of us coming into this 
building that God has given us and blessed us with that we're so privileged to have and excited to have and people out there excited for us, we wanted to get it into our hearts and our minds that the church is not a hierarchy of people. The church isn't a location. The church isn't a tradition. The church isn't a denomination. The church is not a building. You will, if you hear me say, I'll meet you at the church, find me. Find me. I'll root for the Red Sox for one game. Find me. If you notice, I'll not say it. I'll say, I'll meet you at the building. I am really hard about this. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. A group of people coming together who believe in Jesus, believe that Jesus was crucified, that he died, that he was risen from the dead, and that he is alive today, and he is amongst us. He's in our midst. That's what the movement was. Now, we've been looking into Acts. We've been having some fun with my pronunciation of that. I'm glad to get through this and get on to the next series. And it's, it's, we call it the book of Acts. It's actually a letter. And for those of you who are not in the faith, just check, check this out. Listen up here. This is a letter. Like if you were flipping through on a cable and you came across some, you know, the reality TV show and, or, you know, some, you know, ge ge geographic or whatever show. And, and they talked to you about this letter that was written 2,000 years ago that was on earth. And in it, they're finding these nuggets and these treasures of wisdom and facts of life and, and insight into human behavior and discussions about love and true love like that have never been heard or known before. That's what this letter is. It's the beginning of That's the early church. So this letter is written from a man named Paul, Apostle Paul, St. Paul, and he's written out to Actually, I'm sorry. Wow, that's a, it's written by Luke. <laughs> it's written from a, a, a man we know, Luke, who's a physician, a doctor, and he talks about the early church. Luke was an intelligent man. He, he was a learned man, and he spent a tremendous amount of time going out and interviewing people and talking with them to gather this information to accurately and succinctly, in a historical way, give us this. And in that, he writes about the Apostle Paul, who kind of sort of is the book of Acts from the pretty much the ninth chapter on with a smidgen in the eighth chapter, we hear and see and learn so much about Paul's life. Now, in Paul's life, there's this moment, there's this incredible moment, a life-changing moment, a turning moment where it's like nothing changed, but everything has changed. You hear me say that a lot, a lot. And that's when God touches us and Although circumstances around us are the same, we're not the same anymore. Therefore, nothing's changed, but everything has changed. And Paul's moment comes in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. We read it probably a few weeks ago, but I want to go to it again today. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, those who were believing and following Jesus, the movement. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He neared Damascus on his journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now, now Jesus says, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. So Paul got up and he went and did what God told him to do. God called Paul. God changed Paul. God gave Paul direction. And the way Paul thought 
now changed. The way Paul acted changed. His habits changed. His routines changed. All this is safe to say. I don't think I'm even taking a liberty here. Paul was changed. Paul talked with God. And when he did, his narrative changed. The story that he was writing for his life in his head now was changing. There was a new chapter. There was a new book. Paul would now write a different story for his life. So Paul talked with God. Now that statement might seem peculiar to some of you in here today. To some, yeah, you, you've heard it a lot, but to some, maybe you're in here for the first time today, you haven't been in church in a long time, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you've been coming in for like several weeks, and this, this talk, this, this, these words of talking with God, of conversing with God, uh, of, being, of, of God calling someone, it's a bit peculiar to you. I, I felt the same way. When I first started, you know, hanging around, you know, coming back around in my late 20s, into around Christian circles, and I was getting reacclimated with some of the jargon, I'll call it, for the, you know, just for the, you know, the terms, the phrases that I had, hadn't been around in a long, long time. When, when they would say, you know, yeah, I, I talk with God, or I, God, God's calling me, I, I would find it strange. I wouldn't mock it, I, I just would note it. And then over time, I did file under humorous because I was a bit uncomfortable with it, that it's just kind of funny that they're saying they talk with God, you know, or, or that God's calling them, you know. Because I'm thinking if God is in the business of making calls, I hope he doesn't call me, right? Because <laughs> I'm not sure if I really want to hear what he would have to say, and I don't think I'd have anything to say back to him, huh? And that's kind of some funny, but some not. I mean, I, you know, as we sit there and we think and we ponder and we have this inner dialogue, I think that's probably where I'd come to him. Like, okay, so I'm trying to, like, envision, like, what, what, what exactly is going on here? Well, you know, I was speaking to God, I was talking to God, and, you know, God's, God's called me to this. I'm like, what exactly is going on here? And, and I'm trying to, like, put myself in their shoes, and I'm like, okay, so if God was to talk to me, ah, yeah, probably not a conversation I want to have right now, you know? I don't know if I'm really ready to hear what God has to say, and again, I'm not sure what I would tell him. And of course, time, that changed over time, you know, weeks and months, I drew closer to God, and I began to have this talking to God, uh, these conversations with God. Of course, you had that one awesome raw moment where I was very honest with God, which I would say would be intimate with God. The depth of your honesty with God will determine the depth of your intimacy with God. And as I've said over and over before, likely the depth of intimacy in all your relationships in your life. Start with being honest with God when you talk with God and when you hear God talking with you. Now, what I learned over time is that God at times would call me or talk to me about things that I didn't want to hear. Or I would have God, a sense that God was calling me, guiding me to do something that I don't think I wanted to do. And I dealt with it really good in the beginning because I, I just was so lit up for God. I was truly surrendered to God. Over time, I kind of went, and then I kind of dipped a bit. You know, after several years, I, I kind of dipped. Where now it was more my, my, my pen and my paper was, you know, I was writing a bit of a different story now because I had done so well. It's like everything I touched, I was like Midas, King Midas. Everything I touched was gold when I came to God and how I got elevated in ministry and how every time I went into ministry, it did so well, nationally recognized. And all of a sudden, it's like I had a better plan than God. I, 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 what God was saying was good, and I'm going to acknowledge it, but it's going to be kind of a sidelight to, of course, my thinking and my plan and what's going on inside of me. 
And we want to be on guard for that. As I go through this sermon, I'm talking about changing, and I'm talking about maybe if I hit different emotional things, I don't know if I will. I want, this really does apply to all of us, not just those who might be struggling, those who don't know God, those who are mired in difficulty and dysfunction in their lives. I didn't say you're a dysfunctional person. I say there might be things about your life, about your marriage, your home that are dysfunctional, right? We got to have a functional home but have dysfunctional parts of it. That's my home from time to time. I'm sure there's something dysfunctional going on right now in my home. We know my dog, the relationship I have with my dog is always dysfunctional, right? I was nice to him this morning. Actually, we're doing well. We're getting along really well, me and my dog. Uh, so, but... For those of you who kind of, quote-unquote, might think we have it together or seemingly seem stable or we've been around this Christian thing for a long time, who or literally have become relatively accomplished, and that's a good thing, that they could look back and say, you know what, I trusted God. God did an incredible work in my life. I've given, I, I, I've done well, and, and look at what I've accomplished. I'd also say, listen up here, you know. Be careful, because I think that's kind of where I had come to a place. I remember when I had come there, uh, he's still a friend. He's a friend of mine. Matter of fact, he's on, a, on our board. Nick Serban, he tells me, he looked at me and he tells me this story. He's like, you know, Dave, um, one Sunday night in the church, there was a pastor gets up and he's, he's, he's introducing a man who's going to come up now and share a bit, testimony. He's going to share a story about, what God, about him and God. And he says, uh, and he talked about how the man had come into this church and he didn't know faith. He didn't believe in God. He didn't know, he didn't know much at all about God. He introduces the man, and, and, he, and he also explains how the man has blessed the church financially and done some wonderful things in the community, and he's proud to know him as a friend. And the man introduces the man, the man gets up there, and he talks about how the day he walked into that church that Sunday night, he, he was at the end of his rope, that he truly felt so lost. And that as he sat there and, and, he, and, and he listened to the minister, you know, he, he, part of him knew it was right. Part of him was suspicious. And then he said, and then towards the end, they, 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 they came to the time of giving, of giving of finances, you know. And he said, at that point, I felt in my pocket and I had $20. He said, it's all I had to my name was $20. And I'm like, well, you know. And I started to be suspicious. And, and then something just said, you know what? Trust God. Just trust God. Change now. He goes, so I took that $20, everything I had to my name, and I put it in the offering plate. And I began right there to trust God. He said, you know what? In the coming days and weeks, my life changed. Opportunity came into my life. He said, and today I'm a multimillionaire. I'm a multimillionaire. Some of you know I have businesses in the community. And I just want to thank God for what he's done in my life. And everybody applauded, and he came and he sat down. And he sat down next to uh, an older lady, who, an old, older woman who was sitting there. He smiled, she smiled, and she elbowed him. She said, hey. He said, yeah. She goes, I dare you to do it again. Right? I dare you to do it again. <laughs> so if you're in here, I dare you to do it again. Right? You know? Be careful if you've slipped into that routine, that pattern. You've settled in. You're living a lot, as our Piper would say, of yesterday's Thanksgiving. You know? I remember when the first time I heard that, I did a nice inventory. Am I living just on yesterday Thanksgiving? Which is what I still, we went to Coney Island this past week. Me and my family went to Brooklyn, and we went right to that bench, you know. And we, we thank God for what he did in my life and how he changed me when I had that conversation with him, when I was honest with God, huh? And I am grateful for yesterday's Thanksgiving, but I want new Thanksgivings, yes? And that will come when I am open and honest with God. 
when I'm intimate with God, when I trust him, when I'm prepared to serve and to suffer my God, your God. And, then, and in doing that, without question, if I do that, I will have to change routines. I will have to change habits. I will have to alter some of my plans and my way of thinking. Huh? But all to God's glory. So where are we? All right, I'm one off track. All right, so listen. Now, many of you, you're sitting here, and when you hear me thinking about plans and God and suffering and serving, you'll hear that a lot. I, I don't know. I think you throw up filters because we, we, we tend to be restless, anxious people. Some of us have done a better job at uh, being collective about that and composed about that and governing ourselves. Many of us have not done a good job with it. Either way, we are, by our nature, I believe, kind of restless, anxious, fearful people. Uh, so I know that, that fear, fear is a part of of who we are. It can be a very damaging emotion of who we are. And, yet, which, and we fear often, if you really look and think about your anxiety, it's, it's often geared towards the future, right? And whether, it's, whether it's, you know, a minute, you know? This morning, for some reason, I was coughing a lot. I'm like, man, when, am I going backwards? Because before I used to preach, I used to cough like crazy. I would have coughing fits. I would, I, I would, it would be brutal. I'd be so nervous to get up and preach years and years and years and years ago, okay? Uh, I used to get, I'd get to the the church early, and I'd preach in front of an empty chair just to practice. And so this morning, I was coughing. I'm thinking, wow, I'm, I'm nervous today. What is that? And I don't know what it is. But, uh, I, well, but I'm thinking, uh, maybe I'm nervous about preaching today. You see, so we're thinking ahead. Maybe I'm nervous when I walk into that room. Maybe I'm, I'm nervous if I'm going to have to say something at a person seconds ahead, minutes ahead, hours, weeks, months, years. We think we, God made us like no other creature Known to creation that we can think and ponder about the future like no one else. And we spend a lot of time there, right? And that's really not so bad. That'd be a whole nother sermon. It can be, but it's not. But when we go there, apart from intimacy with God, then I think it gets kind of convoluted, if you will, huh? Where now we, we start to think of it based on our own terms, our own story, our own inner thinking, and we start to get anxious and restless and nervous, and we begin to now map that plan out apart from God. Think, watch, govern, watch, monitor your thinking. See how that works this week. But if we stop and we catch ourselves and say, oh, that's, that's me talking to me, that's not usually a good conversation, which probably begins the second your eyes open up in the morning, by the way, that dialogue, so you know what, pause, hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to recognize God. I didn't say I'm going to allow God, God is there, God is present, I'm going to recognize, I'm going to fix my eyes, my heart on, on God and his presence, and I'm going to start to dwell in that, and I'm going to sense that comfort come on me. I'm going to sense God, Holy Spirit working in me now and bringing, you know, that spirit that God breathed into me, bringing it alive. And I'm going I'm to be filled with hope. And now when I think about this morning, when I get up and walk, it's going to be hope this morning. I know my son is struggling and we're not in a good place, but I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope, okay? I know I've got to walk into this job and I can't stand this job, but I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope. And I'm going to hope not that this one changes and that one changes. That, that's not going to be the highest degree of my hope. I, I hope for that, but I'm going to hope that through it all, I draw close to God, that I see God's hand in this because I know he's here. So I have hope, Yeah? And as I do this, I'm going to feel better about who I am, this child of God that God created, that I am the first of all his fruits, that he delights in me, that he created me, made me, and that just that I can talk to God and hear him talk to me and be intimate with him, I'm filled with hope. So what 
can this world do to me? What can this day do to me? Bring it on. I see my future, my minutes, my hours, my days, weeks, months, years, my future filled with hope. Huh? So I want you to think about hope every time you're thinking about doing something, serving God, giving to God, being with God. Listen, God is a, he's, you know, he could have called himself anything. He could have called himself a mountain, a planet. I, I, I don't want to be uh, frivolous here. And it, meaning he, he, he said, I'm a father. Do you ever stop and think why that certainly there was a, a ton of intentionality into that. I'm not going to try and dig into God's brain or whatever and try and say what and why. But I, I know it was intentional that he wanted to know, he wanted us to know him as a father, as a loving father who's patient. So yeah, it is a step. Maybe some of you might flip right now this morning and come to that place of abandoning fear and being filled with hope and now trusting God to step out and live out his plan for your life, what he's talking to you about, what he's calling you to, beginning with this sincere, honest conversation that'll disable your being manipulative and scheming and, and distrusting and suspicious. Put it aside. Put it aside. There is a God, and he's made you, he's created you, and he loves you. That same God that put Paul off the horse, huh? And that called Paul, that talked to Paul, that gave Paul direction. That same God that Paul listened to and went. That same God that spoke to Moody, D.L. Moody, in that shoe store in Boston and changed his heart. That same God, he's here today. That same God is talking to you and calling you. And he's a patient God. So don't run away. Don't turn away. Don't feel overwhelmed. Don't listen to that, what's going on in you. Today might be one small step. It might be a major leap, but just go in that direction. Your direction, not your intention, will determine your destination, yes? So listen. And you see Paul right now? When you look at the Apostle Paul on screen, I'm all over the place, so hang in there with me. I'll We'll come back together now so we, we can communicate with the people. When God calls Paul, when he instructs Paul, when he talks to him, he doesn't lay it all out for him. Like, okay, this is what you're going to do. This is how much you're going to get paid or this is what's going to go on. And he doesn't give him all the details. He just tells him what to do and he directs him. And Paul has this intimate, close conversation with God and he goes. Listen, and that's because we don't live by, we live by faith, not by sight, Right? And God isn't going to give Paul or him the facts. God is going to give him himself. Now I'm going to stop there because I'm, I'm chopping it up. But I'm jumping around. I want you to, if it's still up on the screen and it is, I want you to look at it. I want, you to, I want to pause right now. And I want you to truly ponder what that says. God isn't going to give Paul initially the provisions. He's not going to give him all the details, all the facts. He's not going to give him this certainty of any dreams being fulfilled. He's just, God is going to give him himself. That's what God does. Right today, God gives us himself. This, this must satisfy you. This must float your boat. This must comfort you. This must help you be collective in your thoughts. That God has given you himself. Because above all things... There's nothing greater than that. This is paramount that God has given us himself. That's why you can have hope in a world that is just destined to be dark. That's why you can gain freedom. That's why you do love when you do. 
That's why you might do drugs and people say, but you have such a good heart. God has given you himself. And that's what he did for Paul, and that's what he did for D.L. Moody, and they got that. So Paul obeyed, D.L. Moody obeyed, and they did. And what did they do? They heard from God, they talked to God, they served, and they suffered. Probably Paul more than D.L. Moody, but to some degree, that's how it works. I don't want to mislead you today. No hype. We will serve and we will suffer. The two will come together. Sometimes, I don't know, you know, my pastor would always say, the, the better you serve, the more you suffer. I don't know if I'm going to go there. I'll just say part of our Christian life is suffering and part of it is serving. And I have noticed at times when you serve and the degree you serve, you might suffer to one degree or another. I say might take out might, meaning you will suffer to one degree or another. What might is you might suffer really, really wow, like, Seeming like you're overwhelmed. Maybe we, we, it's going to take on pain. And, and it's not going to be like an inconvenience. It's not going to be like, you know, a little bit, you know, you're tight with money or there's some uncertainty. Like, wow, you're going to suffer. Like being in jail. Like when Paul writes the letters he, that we'll quote from before we finish up today. He's, he's in jail. He's, he's, in, he's in prison. He's in chains. He's suffering. It's, it's just part of who we are. And there's another side to that. We, we serve and we suffer, and then we see God in an awesome way. And then we know joy, and we know peace. This has been the pattern. This is, this is biblical truth. That's why we want to turn around and do it one more time and not get settled into our routines or our patterns when we're accomplished and we've done well, and, you know, things seem to, like, you know, we can sit there and say, wow, looking out at the beach, you know, I can go have dinner right now, you know, give a nice tip. I, I, I can go stay in a nice place. I'm sitting, I think, think things have come to, it's awesome, right? Be, we want to say, hey, thank God for everything. Thank. But I want, I, want, I want to look to tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I'm not going to get settled into my routine. I'm not going to get settled into my patterns. Huh? I want to be willing and ready to have an intimate, close, honest conversation with God where I will abandon my plans and my story here and I will go with him. And when we do that, we have expectations that there might be suffering and there might be difficulty. Paul says in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. To grant you, meaning it's a, it, it's a privilege. It's part of who we are because it's the path to joy and peace. Now I'm going to pause there. I'm all over the place. I'm watching the time. Listen, okay, so you have this manner of living life, this way of thinking, this way of conducting yourself. You all do, each one of us. I'll use the word narrative, your own plan. This is how we govern ourselves. And some of you are struggling. You're not happy. You're not content in your marriage. You're not where you would want to be. And I would tell you that the way to change that is by serving God and suffering. See, that suffering part is what is going to disconnect you 
holding the pen and writing your story and inject God's story into it. That's how it works. That suffering is going to bring you to a place of no longer leaning on your own way of thinking where you manipulate, you scheme, you interject, you're talking to yourself, you're governing yourself, and you say, man, it's like we're having the same argument, the same way, it's like, where we, it's the same, and it, you know, enough. Go this, that's been provided to you. The scripture said this has been provided to you, this path, this way, to serve, to talk to God, have an intimate conversation with God, hear God calling you, drawing you close to him. And I'm telling you to expect to, when you do that, you might suffer. I'm sorry, I said that word might again? You see what a carnal person I am? I want to believe it's might, but it's not. You're going to suffer to one degree or another. But know that when you're suffering, it's drawing you closer to God. And actually, when it's taken from you, you might not need anyway. Or it's been a disruption in your life anyway. Or it's really holding you back from what God would have for you anyway. And once he pulls that out or he changes that way of being, that routine, that pattern, that habit, that way of thinking, whoa, to God be the glory, man. <laughs> then you light up, huh? Then it's like the world is yours. All of a sudden, your reality has been adapted. I'm going to say it again. Your reality is, is adapted. It's altered is a better way of saying it. Your reality is altered, and that's a beautiful thing now. You see the world differently. You see yourself in a better way, this wonderful creature that God has made for his use and for his glory. Now, I'm going to, looking at this, you know, I, I just, I'll, we'll do, I'll, I'll get through this. It's, it's just, I love the verse. Paul, who served and who suffered, he writes this, these words in this letter that he's writing to a church, a, 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 a group of people, a movement that he began, that he was part of the beginning of, and he's writing this letter. He's in chains. He's, he's in chains when he writes this. He, he, he's got a Roman guard standing there. He's like in prison when he writes these words, and he's really writing them this letter to tell them about having to have joy in the middle of difficulty and suffering, to have joy, meaning it, this, is, this is for you. You can have this, he's telling them in so many words. But I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Man, I love these words. Not a week go by in my life that I don't hit part of these words. And if I'm your pastor and I'm ministering to you, you will, you will hear these words. Some of them or all of them come to you time and time again. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, meaning have joy. Let your gentleness, gentleness be evident to all. God is gentle. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, continued prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which, is, which transcends all understanding, it's so awesome, you, you, you can't even fathom it. You say peace, you don't, don't even know peace. You say joy, you don't know joy. Wait till you serve and you suffer and you Wait. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's good right there, right? It gets better. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, right now, your mind, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Fix your mind on these things. Inject these things into your story. And this will come as you serve, as you suffer, as you draw close to God, as you're filled with hope. This is how you think. 
He said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's in jail. Now we're helping him out. He says this in verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. Now, he's in prison. He's in chains. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content, of being content, of having hope, of being happy, of having peace, of having joy. I have learned the secret in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all, I can do all of this through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. That's powerful, man. Yeah, go home, read that. Go to sleep reading it. Get up reading it. Put it on your wall. Christy writes with lipstick, stuff on her mirror. And I, I, play, I add things to it, you know. She doesn't like when I add things to it. <laughs> yes, once every several years I'll, write, I'll add something that's not nice. And God has convicted me. I don't do that anymore. Because <laughs> then she writes stuff on my mirrors and it's not a good thing. So listen, you get this here? What a way to live. What a way to know God. Is that your way of thinking? Where does Paul get his joy from? He's getting his joy from this honest conversation with God, talking to God. God's calling him. He's stepping out. He's serving God. He's suffering, and he's seeing God in an awesome way, in a a way of awe that it just clouds out the rest of what's going on in this world and the hustle and the bustle and the pain and the difficulty and the uncertainty even those words when he says, you know, over time, you, you did finally get concerned about me. He says, yeah, yeah, I'm human. I was sitting there in chains and in darkness with this brute of a guy, Roman soldier, speaking to me in deplorable ways. And yeah, it, it might have got to me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But I'm okay. Because, you see, he's human. Just like us. Talk with God. Serve God. Expect you're going to suffer. And know that all of this is the path to having joy and peace with God. All right, so, so Paul calls himself in his letters from time to time, refers to himself, and actually there's more he's referring to others, those people he's referring to as a saint. Yeah. Saints serve. Saints suffer. Saints see God in an awesome way. You might say, I'm not a saint, but listen, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, if you're part of this movement, you're a saint. And I'm not being disparaging or lessening anybody else's faith. I'm not even going there. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to just what in Paul's letters, when he's writing, when he's using that word saint, it's talking about believers. It, you know what? It's talking about those who are set apart. Those who've called. Those who've had conversation with God. God called them. They spoke with him, and they followed what he told them to do. Paul says, we're saints. You're a saint here. You're a saint that's called to serve God. 
You're a saint that's called to have honest conversation with God. And for, for God's glory and for your benefit, you've got to believe that. We filter everything through our own calculations, you know, our preset, predetermined calculations of what's going to help us and what's going to hurt us and what's going to benefit as if we really know well, as if we have done such a marvelous job of seeing all that through. So maybe you're better than me because I needed a lot of help. Actually, you're probably, most of you, are better than I was and still in many cases still are but I got to tell you I don't do well with that math when it comes to just trying to you know figure out what's best for me and what's going to move me along but when I trust in God when I don't lean on my own understanding I acknowledge him in all my ways the math gets pretty clear right listen we should know and we should profess to ourselves and even to others I was a sinner. I met Jesus. He made me a saint. And because of that, I'm overcoming my sin. I'm living up to the identity that he has established me. He has a great identity for you. Don't live in your own conceived, your own concocted concocted identity. Live with an identity in Christ. Realize and dwell in how wonderful Jesus is and that you are in Christ that's your identity that he would forgive you that he would draw you into his kingdom that he'd give you an inheritance you are a saint write it down sin does exist in your life sin may explain some of the activity of how you're living sin might have existed last night in your life might have existed this morning But sin does not define your entire identity in Christ. Do not listen to that story. Don't try and compartmentalize this. Sin is not of God. Sin will bring damage into your life. Sin will deter you from having that honest and intimate conversation with God. That I do believe. I think you would be very deterred and it would be much more difficult if you are living in any way in continued sin from having that open and honest and intimate conversation with God where he is going to call you and you are going to have the ability to, ser- to step out and listen and serve him and thereby go in a direction that's going to blow the doors off your life and then knowingly and gladly now suffer to whatever extent you have to to give up things that you probably need to give up anyway. I'm going off track. Listen, I'm not talking about making less of your sin. I'm not talking about making less of your sin, but making more of your Savior. You are a saint. You get me? Focus on Jesus, that he gave his life. Come on. Right? That he died, that he was resurrected, and that he lives. Paul says he lives, and he lived in Paul's life. D.L. Moody, when you go out there on the Campus, I'm t- you are blown away. You're like, in Mass- this is going on in Massachusetts? And the lady will tell you, yes, and it's going to be revived now. She said, yes, millions of dollars are being poured in here to revive this place. The time has come, she said. Isn't that awesome? We were the only ones there. We had like this personal, private tour. They gave us drinks. They were right with us. It was awesome. I'm talking like, I don't know, 50, 60 acres, all those buildings. It's just us. Reveling in God's glory. <laughs> Feeling so privileged. You never know what's coming your way. Oh, I was so inspired. I'm lit up. I've already got an idea. You inspire me, I got an idea for you, ma'am. I did. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll get to it later on. 
Uh-oh, it's 11.04. I can't get to it later on. <laughs> Listen, okay, I'm going to jump this. To be a Christian is to be a saint, and saints are sent, and saints serve. You want to serve, and that's what I've been driving you to. Now, sometimes I say things up here, and it's like, I always try and make it practical, and I always want it to be beneficial to the movement, too, and to our vision. So it's like, okay, am I going to be D.L. Moody now? Am I going to be the Apostle Paul? And maybe you will be, to some extent. There's certain things Paul did that we cannot do. And before we get into that conversation, you can't write scripture, I can't write scripture, so let's end it there, okay? So nobody has to come running up to me afterwards and send me an email. All right. I want to make this applicable to your life. When you came in today, you were given a card. It says, find your fit. We do this every several weeks. Hmm? Every several weeks, we turn around and we turn to you, the movement, to give you an opportunity to see God work in your life, to have that honest conversation with God, to have this time of intimacy with God, and decide, now I'm going to step out and serve. You know, D.L. Moody came to know God because of a Sunday school teacher who came to that shoe store to speak to him about God. Wow. Right? And I don't even think he liked him. Matter of fact, someone, <laughs> he didn't like him. He actually, he actually, we have his writings where he called Moody, who he was related to, one of the darkest persons he ever met. <laughs> and he was part of the group that refused Moody membership in the church, which I talked about last week. But thinking so highly of D.L., he goes there and he shares the gospel with him. Having no even comprehension of what can now and what will happen now in, in Moody's life, huh? You have that card. There are several categories on this card. Each one of them is an opportunity. So we went out to that prayer place yesterday. Why? Because I had to? No. Because that's an opportunity. And we went out there and we were blessed and we were blown away. And we got to be part of something that's going to happen in this state. And I, I am so not about hype. I'm telling you, as the lady sat down and started telling us all that's being prepared, it is so exciting. And the millions that are being committed. One organization, already they've put, dropped in a, couple, a million. And one organization had dropped a five million matching fund. Every, for every dollar, the dollar you raise, we're just going to double. We're just going to, we're going to double it. She goes, oh yeah, 5,000 comes in, they, they send us five. I was so inspired to be there because I, I decided to, yeah, to pray to serve, to step out, to listen to God. God's got something to say to me today. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to pray and I'm going to join this movement. So get this, and, and it's going to be a little long today, but I'll get there. I don't want to miss this part. But give me a second to get my thoughts together here. We're going to the end. We can do it. Listen. Here's the thing. I'm going to condense this. Ready? We're going to do this in like five minutes. I would tell the worship team to shorten their song. They say they can't shorten their song. So I don't know. I can shorten my sermons, but they can't shorten their songs. But I love them anyway, you know. <laughs> I guess it is a little bit easy for me to shorten my words. Uh, I just want to get, okay. Some of you are in here and you struggle. You struggle with addictions. Now, first let me say, I do, I care for you. This church, we love people, we love everybody. And what I'm saying to you comes from a place of truly of compassion. You struggle with addictions. 
sexual addictions. You can't stop sleeping with people and it's screwing up your life. God's a merciful. God's a merciful God. You keep doing it your own way and you're going to suffer. I'm, t- I'm telling you. You're going to suffer. You are. You think there are no consequences, but there are consequences. And God is merciful. He put me in the womb of a 15-year-old little girl because her and this man were fornicating and they were doing, he was doing drugs. He wound up dying. She wound up having me in poverty. There were consequences. But, but God is merciful, right? And I always say any child that's conceived is conceived by the glorious God, right? We thank God for that child, do we not? We do. We thank God for that child because that, that is a creation of God. But don't be fooled. Don't, do not be fooled. God cannot be mocked, right? But know this. You can have an intimate conversation with your God. You can be open and honest to God, and you don't have to be afraid of your future when you're doing that, about what he's going to say to you like I used to be. You can know he's got something great to talk to you, like he did to Paul, like he did to D.L. Moody, and like he did to these ladies I'm going to get to because I'm not going to end today without talking about the ladies. Some of you are struggling with drug addiction, drinking, opiates, coke. Some of you are all these different things, addictions, habits, and here's what I have learned. What I have learned in pastoring this church in 20 years of ministry, but especially the last seven years, to the extent of your addiction is to the extent that you have become very, very self-centered. I, let me tell you, I care for you. I will sit with you. I will hold your hand. I will pray for you. I do pray for you. I will scream. I will cry. If you get me in a really bad moment when you're heated and your life is on the line, I'll drop an F-bomb on you, and I've done that before. Not here. I want to see you live a better life. I want to see you know God in a great way. I want to see God glorified in your life. I want to see people come to know Christ through you. I do. Self-centeredness, which is the opposite of serving, which is the opposite. It's actually an antithesis of suffering. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this so I can avoid suffering. But in doing so, I'm bringing more suffering and calamity into my life. I have, this is what I've seen, to the extent that people have addictions, to the extent that they are very self-centered. So I've watched this pattern. Now, now, you see, now we have put, so, I want to be careful, just say, I, I am very, very steeped and involved in people struggling with addictions. Pornographic, opiates, drugs, so on and so forth, and I have seen this. And I actually took the time, two days, in the middle of everything that was going on with the building, because I, 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 it was really eating at me. And I sat down and I wrote people's names and I prayed for them and I love them. I do. You know that. And you know what I saw? I saw people that God created. I saw people with big hearts. I did. I saw people that admired things about them in their lives and skills. But I saw selfish people. I did. Now, why am I telling you this? Because. Because I need, no, I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you this because maybe this is why I was nervous today. Maybe tomorrow, next week we'll have half our church here. But I'm telling you this because I love you. I am your pastor. I'm telling you this because I believe that when I was standing there listening to Moody's story, Moody was a bad dude. <laughs> Karen got up and was sharing all about his life because she's been studying him. He, he would write the way he would talk. He couldn't spell right. He had terrible conduct. And, I believe with all my heart that you are meant to be part of this movement, that God truly can glorify himself through you. 
And I want you to know the peace and the joy. So what I'm telling you is here is your antidote. Here is what's going to help break your addiction. Here is what's going to change your life. Stop being selfish. Stop thinking about yourself solely. Stop. And I, I know you don't do this intentionally. I am convinced it's not as intentional as people think. It's just how you've learned to see the world. It's how you've learned to have this inner dialogue. It's how you perceive reality. Stop this in Jesus' name. And consider what God is doing in your life. Why are you here this morning? Because God brought you here. Why do you do some good things? Because you do do good things. Because that's God in you. That's the spirit that he breathed in you. Apart from that, it would be all your nature. Man, it would be ugly. There is something beautiful and wonderful waiting to be harvested in your life. If you're here, then good seeds have been sown into you. Good spiritual seeds that are waiting to bloom, to blossom, to do incredible things. Start by serving. Look at this card, because this is your beginning. Start by giving. Start by thinking of others in your life right now. Stop thinking about you and what's going to hurt you and how things are going to fail. Just start thinking about God. Have an open and honest conversation with God. And be filled with hope. Not fear. I said hope. Stop taking control. Stop doing it your way. Stop fornicating. Stop doing drugs. Stop hurting people. Stop sleeping with people. Stop doing drugs. Stop sleeping. Stop doing drugs. Stop smoking weed. Stop drinking too much. Stop hurting yourself. Stop lying. Stop cheating. And start doing what you know you can. Stop putting out that wonderful personality God's given you. Stop putting it out there. Stop being caring because you can care, man. Start loving because you can love. Start helping because you can help. It's amazing that you do what you do, living the way you do. Imagine if you didn't live that way, what you would do. Come on, it's awesome. I am your friend, and I am your pastor, and I will stick with you through it all. I will. You're a child of God. There is something wonderful in you. I have seen you work hard. I've seen you at, at times sacrifice. So not all everybody who has these issues. Some do. Some can, but mostly it comes down to the selfishness. So I am all over the place, and I've got a third of a sermon to preach, and I can't. Hear me out. Trust in God. Don't be selfish. Take that first step. It might be helping in a nursery. Yeah, if you smoke pot, you can help in a nursery. You just can't smoke pot while you're helping in a nursery. <laughs> and yes, if you're having sex with somebody, we'll still let you be involved to a high degree. Ah, we will. I still will let you be involved in this church in a meaningful way. Because God is a gracious God. And his grace and his truth and grace comes first in Chair City Church. You hear me? Because that's what I was shown, and that's what I will show. And our children will see grace. And it'll give us an opportunity to walk them through this thing called life and this thing called forgiveness and this thing called grace, yes? And they will see people changed. They will see people changed, huh? And they will see God work in people's lives. And so, worship team, why don't you come on up while I finish this up? All right. We got to finish this, Okay. Early 1900s, 
up there in D.L. Moody's school. He built a library, he built a school, he built all this stuff. And in his school, first bunch of students come in. I think it was called uh, a women's conference center. He decided, look, I'm going to have a seminary for women as much as men. That's what D.L. did. Agree with it or not, that's what he did. And the first 25 women were raised up and they're prepared now to go out from that college. And I'm talking, how do I know this? Because I'm talking to the lady there who's our tour guide, personal tour guide, and she tells me this story. She says, oh yeah, right up there by Round Top where D.L.'s buried, to the right is a whole cluster of cheese, trees. 25 trees were planted, and they all represent these 25 women. You know what they did? After they came out of college, they all decided to go around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them gave their life. Some of them had their coffin shipped ahead of them knowing that they would probably die and never come back. 25 women bravely, courageously, unthinkably said, we're giving our life now to spread this gospel, to share this truth. It is too awesome. It is too great. It is too life-changing. I have experienced this. I have had an intimate and honest conversation with God. I don't need anything else, but that's what I got. Huh? I don't need riches. I don't need fortunes. I don't need sex. I don't need drugs. I don't need somebody to affirm me. I don't need somebody to value me. I don't need to have a bigger house. I don't need to be doing better my occupation. No, I have had an honest and intimate conversation with God. He is with me. He has called me. He has talked to me. I willingly and gladly set out to do this now. 25 women gave their lives, not at one time, separately and individually, they gave their life. That's right. Who knows how, what they did, how it's impacted everybody in here today. Who, and we're gonna, I'm going to set out. You know what I did? It, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's me. I, I couldn't leave there without, I was so inspired. And the trees were like overgrown and there was a mess in between the trees. We had, like, we had to tear away the grass to see the plaque that was with them. It was like all abandoned. And I said, you know what? We will invest our time and our money and we will fix that place up for them, right? We will do that. And I sent actually Karen to go talk to her and she was elated that yes, they are going to allow us and they're going to work with us, that we will go back there and we will do things like we always do very well in conjunction with them in a way that benefits them, that they welcome. But what a privilege that we as a church will be going back there to, to, to beautify this incredible thing, to be part of something so wonderful in this state, right? Something that is bringing together Baptists and Catholics and Pentecost, it's all going to come together, and we have this wonderful place of just to be a part of this, to go in there and to honor these women who did what? Who sat there like you're sitting here today and, ha and had that moment that was of God where they're going to have an honest and an open, intimate conversation with God and change your life forever, and nothing else would compare to that, or where they were going to continue on with their own writing their own story, perceiving their own needs, they chose to have an intimate conversation with God. Their reality was altered. I pray the same for your reality this morning. Thank you for being so patient with me.